I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who show's Alternate Galaxies, where tonight, Dave, we'll be talking about the Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi. We will! It's a Star Wars series. It is a Star Wars series. <laughs> so they tell me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we have we have watched the whole series and we have things to say. I know I have a lot of things to say. My notes are copious. Uh, yes, so are we going to do a little bit of spoiler-free first? Oh, of course, of course, always, before the spoiler curtain. Uh, well, look, I might start because I have a feeling you've got some particular things to say. Mm-hmm. So I will start by setting the tone and saying I really quite enjoyed this series. Mm-hmm. It certainly wasn't perfect. Uh, was it as good as Mandalorian Season 1? No. Did I enjoy it more than I enjoyed the Book of Boba Fett? Yes. So that's kind of where it was sitting for me. Okay. Now, I'll say I've had a bit of a a bit of a journey leading up to this series. As listeners may remember when we've discussed it over time, when it was first announced, I was very much of the view, like, this isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. How do you do a story about Obi-Wan Kenobi who's meant to sit and do penance in the desert for 20 years? Mm-hmm. E- either you tell a story that's true to the canon and boring, or you break the canon in a really terrible way. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of weeks before it started, I kind of had this moment of apotheosis and I thought, I actually don't care if it fits into canon or not. I just want it to be a good adventure. Mm -hmm. And I walked into the series going, right, I'm not going to even try and rationalise it inside the canon. I'm not going to even try and see if the continuity fits. I'm just going to take it as a standalone thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And doing that, I think was very beneficial because if I had tried to fit into continuity, I would probably have bled from my ears, nose, <laughs> eyes, uh, as I think a few fans have. So so that's kind of where I am. That's kind of the mentality I had. Rob, your opening thoughts. My opening thoughts before the spoiler curtain comes down. Um, in itself, I'm very similar to you, Dave. If, if I shut off basically most of my external Star Wars stimuli i can see this as an action adventure for this guy called ben kenobi where he travels to a bunch of places and we see some interesting stuff and he's got a precocious kid sidekick along for most of the ride and and yeah that's fine but if i turn on my star wars brain dot 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 (laughs) there's a problem and i feel i'm going to come across as negative in this podcast i'll say this up front because frankly i have a lot of huh what's that all about or huh that doesn't really work moments and if i just start spewing them out one after the other it's going to seem like i really hated the thing and i want to burn it with fire but here's the scoop i didn't hate it but i do have a lot of issues and questions and that might be where I stop before the spoiler curtain. Yeah, no, look, I can understand that. I don't think you're alone in that. And, and I'm probably sympathetic to a number of the things you're going to raise. Mm. I, I just made a deliberate decision to really put them out of my mind. And, and look, as we've discussed before as well, I'm not as deeply into the, the, the lore and the canon of Star Wars as, as you have been. Mm. Um, so that that's probably made a difference. Uh, the other spoiler-free question I just want to ask you, Rob... Mm-hmm. This was roughly three, three and a half hours of television. Yeah. Would it have been better as a two to two and a half hour movie? Ooh, maybe. 
Yeah, I mean, we can't say for sure, but I look at the opening two episodes and go, that's a really good opening act of a movie. And I look at the middle stuff and go, that's a really obvious middle of a movie. And then you've got a really obvious climax to a movie. And if you cut sort of 40 to 45 to 60 minutes out of it all, just made it a tight movie, I think it actually would have been a really good piece of Star Wars. I think it would have been actually quite well received. It would certainly tighten it up. That's that's for sure. Yeah, so look, that's just a uh, random thought before we get into things. All right, shall we bring that spoiler curtain down? Bring it down. There it is. Dave, I want to kick off by talking about the novel Kenobi, because probably because this is the furthest away from discussion about the actual show that we'll get in this podcast, so I'll put it up front. And also because I think it ties into you saying if the story was just about Ben on Tatooine, it would be boring. Because to me, the novel Kenobi, and I don't believe you've read it. No, I haven't. No. I think it's a far more interesting examination of what life would have been like for Ben on Tatooine. Can can, can I ask before you go any further, roughly when was this published? Is this like 90s extended canon? Is it recent? Is it old? No, no. This is about 20, I want to say 2012 or 2013 or something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's probably about a decade old now. Yeah. And it's basically set around the end of episode three. So Obi-Wan's fresh to the planet and he's just getting set up and he gets involved with the locals who run the nearest general store to him, like at some distance from where he's living in his little hut. But he travels into this general store and he gets to know the moisture farmers and there are ongoing battles with the Tusken Raiders and some of the people, some of the moisture farmers have got illicit dealings going on with the huts. And there's a little bit of romance, in a sense. And there's some humour. And, you know, it probably wouldn't excite the mass Star Wars market as much as something with Darth Vader in it. So you're probably right in that respect. But I think it would have been by far a better kind of story to put down on screen. I really do. Okay. I can accept that. Without, without having read it, I'll have to just take your word for it. But yeah. I, I certainly get the point you're making. Yeah, yeah. Because, look, even if I bench that personal bias towards the book and accept that the this TV series is now 10 years on from that and we've got a different set of circumstances going on, to the degree that the events in the book could have happened to this same Obi-Wan earlier, there's nothing to say they couldn't have already happened to him. It, it still could have existed. I, I then query a number of things, but I might stop there before I start querying things and let you dive in with some of your stuff. Well, well, let me continue on the whole Kenobi thing, because this is probably the the deepest well that I want to dive into as part of this conversation. Okay. And, and it links to the character. I've found, and I, I found this in conversations with people in the office, for example, with other friends, and, and, and even with people on Twitter, that... A large amount of how you enjoyed this series depended on which Kenobi you grew up with mm-hmm. and what you think the character of Ben Kenobi actually is. So to dive back to my first days in Star Wars fandom or even just watching the, the Star Wars films, you know, Star Wars, Empire and Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I always grew up with this sort of idea that Kenobi, you know, he wasn't a villain, but he was kind of a... Anti-hero is even the right word, a, tra- a tragic villain maybe, but he's he's a failure. He's he's the guy whose hubris and errors led to the creation of Vader and allowed mm-hmm. the Empire to happen. And, and because of that, he's sort of 
you know, messed up his life. He's doing penance on Tatooine. And then his his final mission, his final adventure in helping to stop the Death Star and then giving up his life to save Luke and, and redeeming himself is sort of that, that redemption moment to, to say, look, I messed up. I was hubristic. I gave the universe Vader and this is this is my penance. Mm-hmm. And then I remember when The Phantom Menace was going to come out, a lot of us sitting around talking and going, well, what are they going to do with this Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi? Because he's, he's like going to be the big action star of these movies, but he's the guy who messed up and everything. And of mm. course, they gave us Qui-Gon Jinn to now take that fall yeah. so that <laughs> Obi-Wan could become the big heroic action figure. But I found people who are younger than me and grew up with the Phantom Menace and clones and um, Sith see him as General Kenobi, the big action hero. Mm. And that's what they think the character is. So people like me, and I'll see where you stand in in a moment on this, Rob, Mm -hmm. people like me saw this more pathetic, more grounded, more sad, weaker Kenobi and have gone, yeah, that is, that's, that's Kenobi. He's not perfect. He's actually quite fallen. He's, he's really messed up. Whereas other people are going, who's this guy? He's a loser. Kenobi's not a loser. Who's who's this? Who's this terror? They, they don't get it, and they were very upset about that. Um, does does what I said make any sense to you? And if so, where do you feel you fall? Oh gosh, it, it does, and I've got two two points that I can bring into play here. But where do I fall? Yeah, I do. Funnily enough, I do take the older view that he is this guy who failed. And mm. he and he redeems himself and and of course I was born in 1975. I was watching Star Wars by 1980, uh, so I do take the older sort of Star Wars view. So that's actually quite right. One of the points I'll bring up first is I ask myself why has Ben let his Force skills atrophy? You know when when people are saying you know he, he should be this this big action hero. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that too, because why has he let his four skills atrophy? If, if your whole point is protect this kid, if it's your only job, as the expression goes, why would you let yourself become this way where you can't fight well, you can't pick up things with the force anymore? He barely picks up Leia when he has to save her in one of those uh, episodes. Because at the end of the day, if you're not up to fighting anymore, how are you an effective protector? Why bother being there at all, basically? I know that seems like a really basic question, but I think it's a good one. Why has he let himself fall from from being this kind of all-action figure? But this plays into maybe my second point. It seems to come back to this Disney obsession, as I'll call it, that the only way you can make older legacy characters interesting anymore is to make them flawed you know they make luke a hermit who just wanted to die in the force awakens even though he was the most optimistic man in the universe in the original films they made han solo a deadbeat dad when the whole point of the original films was that he had pushed past his solo nature literally Uh, fought and almost died for others and then found love with Princess Leia. But no, we can't have that in Disney Star Wars. And here with Ben, we have a guy whose solemn vow was to protect the boy and, you know, he he just doesn't have his abilities anymore. He's let them drop off so that if there was an emergency, what could he actually do? So I'm, I'm kind of conflicted over both what I think of the character. I do think of him as that failure who redeems himself. But at the same time... I do think he's been Disney Star Wars fired, if that's a if that's a term as well, where they just can't leave it alone. So, so to take your second point first, and then I have more to say on your first point. But to take your second point first, mm-hmm. if we hadn't been through the uh, the flooring of 
Luke and Han, mm-hmm. would you have felt better about what happened to Kenobi here? Maybe. Okay. I still would have felt it was weird, though, because he's there to protect the boy and he lets his skills die off. Yeah, so on, on that first point, I actually think mm. that made a huge amount of sense and was actually, for me, le- leads into one of the really stronger parts of the series for me. And that is, it leads into this real sense we get for one of the very first times in the whole Star Wars franchise of what living under the Empire is actually like. And the idea that they are out there, the Jedis or anybody who's Force-sensitive is in the guns, is going to be rounded up by the Empire and is going to be killed. Mm. I think that's a really interesting and scary part of the universe. And then when you look at how the general populace reacts to that, that again shows you what living under the Empire is like and the thing that what I was sort of thinking about as I'm watching these particularly episode one and episode three which I think were both two of the stronger episodes one of the terrifying things about the diary of Anne Frank is of course the existence of the Nazis and and the Holocaust and what what they were doing that is a Mm. terrifying and horrible thing but the thing that is equally horrible that sits beside it is that somebody gave Anne Frank's family away yeah they did and that's the part that I think is really interesting in a dramatic sense. When the Inquisitors come to Tatooine and they start asking questions and people are like, look, I don't want to betray my friends and my relatives, but he's over there. Mm-hmm. Or, or when we see the character that gives them a ride in episode three, who I thought was a really good character, who's just sitting there and he seems like a nice guy and he's giving them a lift and how are you today, my folks? Yeah, you're going for a trip and hey, this Empire's pretty cool, bringing a bit of law and order to the galaxy, hey? <laughs> And then he just sneaks over the stormtroopers and he's like, hey, just check out those guys in the back, would you? Mm. That's a really dramatic and I found a really tense and creepy moment. So I, I like that. And if and if Obi-Wan is existing in this universe where any hint that you're a Jedi could be enough to give you away, I can understand him not wanting to give any hints. Mm, that That's fair. To go back to the novel Kenobi, ad- admittedly it's set 10 years earlier, like I said, the, the challenge there is that he is a full-on Jedi with all his skills and he can't use them in certain situations. Now, we sort of get that in this where he sees Owen Lars in the middle of, I, I guess it was Moss Eisley or somewhere, uh, being threatened and he can't sort of leap in and do anything. But at the same time, he couldn't really leap in and do anything much anyway because his, his skills were so terrible. So in the novel, he has the skills and he can't use them. Here, he doesn't really have the skills and he still can't use them. But isn't isn't part of the arc of this series that idea, as, as Yoda shows us in Empire Strikes Back, when we first properly encounter the Force, mm-hmm. that part of the Force is about you having belief and confidence. You know, I don't believe that. That is why you failed. And because Obi-Wan has, in his mind, contributed to the end of the Jedi, he's watched all his best friends, basically his family, as far as he's aware, the people he thinks is his family, have been slaughtered by his best mate Mm -hmm. because he messed up his training and now the Empire controls the universe. He must have no self-confidence and no self-respect. And if the Force does flow from confidence and belief, then... Yeah, it makes sense to me that he can't channel it. So the the arc is him believing in himself again to the point where suddenly he can throw mountains. Mm. Yeah, look, I I, I can buy into that. I I just find it... 
I still just find it weird that Luke's not really being protected when he should be protected. Yeah, look, a lot of people felt the same way about you and about the character of Kenobi. I've heard a lot of different takes that are very, very similar. It worked for me, but yeah, I, I get the other side of that. Mm. Shall I throw something up? Yeah, please. Let's discuss the whole quote, I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. I mean, for close to 50 years, Dave, it's been taken as read that Obi-Wan thumped him last time they met, which everyone has taken to be the fight on Mustafar when Anakin was basically a newbie Sith, and then they meet later in life in A New Hope. And what we have now is this shoehorning in of another confrontation, actually two. The second one where Obi-Wan thumps him but doesn't kill him, and even though Anakin's been a Sith for a decade at this point in time, we now have to accept that in A New Hope, he's referring himself as a decade-old Sith with near-infinite powers to be a learner? Honestly, Dave, I'd have preferred if they didn't meet again in this series. Not not twice, not once. But I totally understand why they do. It's fan service. I get all that. But I would have preferred it didn't happen. How about you? <sighs> <laughs> the hard questions, I know. As I said at the start... Because I'd taken the view I had, I didn't care. Okay. I, I agree. It is absolutely impossible to reconcile what happened in Star Wars with what hap- with what we saw just happen in Kenobi. They cannot be reconciled. They they It does not work. You just have to either bleed from the ears or roll with it. Mm. And, and, and I'm happy to roll with it. Just in the same way that there is no way that the layer of Star Wars is the layer of the Kenobi series, who just had a weeks-long adventure with a guy called Ben Kenobi who saved her life. And then she's like, hey, Kenobi, we don't know each other, but hey, my dad knew you. And then when he dies in front of her, she's not like, oh my God, that's the guy I know from my childhood. It's like, who's that old dude? Mm-hmm. Like, they can't be reconciled. I'm not going to pretend they can. If that matters for you, that would absolutely be a detriment to the series. But I just put on the blinkers and gone, I'm going to roll with it. Well, even her age, I mean, she's playing a 10-year-old now. I think she's slightly younger than 10 in real life, but she's playing 10 years old. I know kids grow up a lot through their teens, but even just age-wise, we have to believe that this girl who acts very pre-10 years old will be Carrie Fisher in nine years. I find that hard to reconcile. So I was quite surprised when Leia turned up. I think that was something that kept under wraps very well. And they did do that old magician's trick of, hey, everybody, look over here at this kid we've cast as Luke, (laughs) so that we didn't notice that they'd cast somebody as Leia as well. That was very well done. I thought in the first episode, look, she's fine. And I thought the first episode was going to be, he finds Leia, he gets Leia off on a ship somewhere to go, right, you go back to um, um, Matt Santos on um, Alderaan, and then... (laughs) You um, and then then he, his adventure is like now I've come out of hiding. I've got to get get away and get get home safely again. By episode two, I was a bit over the kid. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah, she wasn't a bad actress. She was perfectly good for you know ten or twelve, whatever she is. But I was a bit over that character. As somebody who finds Carrie Fisher actually quite irritating in Star Wars, I actually thought she played the character quite well because I was irritated by her. Because <laughs> um, I, I, find, I find Leia particularly in Star Wars, she's better by Jedi, but but in Star Wars, I, I do find her very snooty and kind of dismissive and, you know, Luke and Han come to rescue her and she's like, oh, that's you a little bit short, come over here, you don't know what you're doing. You know, I, 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 I never really sort of gelled with Leia as a kid. So 
I didn't have that problem. Right. Yeah, look, I, I agree. Changing the action to Leia was interesting on a general level. Seeing Ben get off Tatooine, I think, was quite unexpected. I think when one of the later trailers dropped and you saw that the action would go off Tatooine, people were like, oh, my God, it's going to be a bit different to what we were thinking. But on a story level, again, to bring it back to story, the idea that Ben, again, would not just neglect the boy he's been charged with <laughs> by losing his skills, but because Bail, or more specifically Bail Organa's people, have neglected the girl that they were charged with, it's a bit of a messy thing to reconcile that he'll just leave Luke and just zip off into the galaxy, maybe get himself killed, and then Luke's got no protector. I mean, even once Ben gets back to Tatooine and sorts everything out at the very end, he still flies off again <laughs> to have that weird face-to-face with Bale and his wife and Leia. My wife actually goes to me, hey, did he just leave Luke again and flew all the way to Alderaan just for that conversation? There are some very, very odd story choices. Yeah, that one it, it doesn't make sense even within the narrative of the series, but you've got to have a final scene and you've got to have him turn around to young Leia and go, Okay, never mention this to anyone. Just pretend you've never met me because that's how you act in 10 years' time in the movie we made 43 years ago. So, yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> okay. It's so messy. It, it, so it, it messy. is messy. And, and look, th- th- this is, this is I think, the problem that the Star Wars franchise has. Star Wars was a movie that was made in 1977 that spawned two really good sequels in 1980 and 1983. Mm-hmm. Then there was nothing for... 20 odd years and then there were three more movies then there was nothing and well sorry then there were a whole lot of books and some computer games and they sort of built up a bit of a universe then we got more movies and then we got tv series and now we've got official you know on-screen continuity Mm. for all this stuff that was never planned And, and look i don't care what george lucas says this was never planned to this level of detail if it was you wouldn't have had luke and leia kissing as siblings in empire like exactly. that is the t- that is the clear tell. I mean, the Vader character really. Vader's kind of like the Daleks. You mm. kind of have to put his first appearance aside from all the rest of continuity because in Star Wars he's really just designed as this heavy that turns up and does some heavy stuff, and he's entirely disposable. Then he becomes the breakout character, and suddenly he's got this whole arc in the next two movies, and suddenly he's the basis of the prequel movies, and nothing can really be made in Star Wars now without James L. Jones getting a fee. So. You know, this, this this thing has become a monster franchise that it was never really designed to be. And yeah. if, if we want to keep having Star Wars made, we either have to make completely new stuff like Mandalorian or we have to accept that it's just not going to work sometimes. And that's, that's, that's the Star Wars legacy problem. I agree, which may or may not, depending on where you want to go next, lead us into a conversation about Reva. I, have, I think we have to talk about Reva. Can I can I do Vader first? Okay, because he's he's come up a couple of times, and um, look, you you've had a couple of very valid concerns about what doesn't work. So let me let me have my big one. Uh, okay, and that is look as much as I enjoyed seeing Vader, mm-hmm. and the Vader scenes are cool. This was Vader at the peak of his power. I think that Vader's fight with Reva was really good, and I'll explain why in a moment. Look, I like both of his fights with Obi-Wan. They were really strong. But over all of them, there is this pervasive sense of neither of you can win because we need to leave the pieces in the right spot for Star Wars in 10 years' time. And so when we had that first confrontation, you get some really cool moments. Vader doing the, right, 
you've made me suffer, you just wait till you see how much I can make you suffer. And he lights the fire and he's twisting Obi-Wan. That's a really cool moment. But because Obi-Wan can't die in that point, you then get the moment of, hey, Vader, look over there. Oh, no, Obi-Wan's getting away. Oh, oh, well. <laughs> like, it yeah. was just really pathetic. <laughs> but it could not be that way. I know, this guy who in later in the series we see pull a whole starship down and tear it bit from bit, he can't pick up that droid and Obi-Wan and lift them over the fire back towards him? Yes, that's exactly right. And look, that pulling down of the starship was a really, really cool moment. And oh, ripping yeah. it to shreds, I've got, that's a great Vader moment. When he throws a mountain on top of Obi-Wan, great Vader moment. But he can't then go, I'll just check to make sure he's properly squished. Yeah. Because he needs to survive the series. And, and that, again, is the legacy of Star Wars coming in and kind of spoiling for me a little bit some otherwise cool moments. But that's what made the Reaver fight really good. Because as far as I knew, Reaver could have been killed in that fight. And that moment when she loses it and comes and lunges for Vader, I'm sitting there going, no, what are you doing? You're, you're going to be slaughtered. Mm. And the way that they portrayed it with Vader just sitting there kind of calm one hand very relaxed just playing with her yeah. and you're just watching that fight and without any dialogue Chris Chibnall take note without mm-hmm. any dialogue you know exactly what's happening in that fight you know about her desperation you know that he's just going I can play like this all day I can yeah. I can snap you any moment I want let's have some fun I'm not trying too hard let's, let's make this fair I think it's a shame that she wasn't killed in that moment. I think that would have been a really good moment. And then you make the finale about Vader and Obi-Wan. Yeah, that was riffing very hard, of course, on Empire Strikes Back, where Vader fights Luke just one-handed. Yes. And he's not really trying with Luke either. Absolutely. And, And again, that's one of the better lightsaber fights in the sequence, I think. Certainly is. So, shall we talk about Reaver? Yeah, look, I've brought up Reaver, so let's let's dive further in. Yeah, I think this is going to be a hard one to discuss without tripping over or even being associated with criticism of her, which which was frankly unwarranted and even drew a, a very pissed off video message from Ewan McGregor. I don't know if you saw that, Dave. I didn't watch the video. I did see references to it. And I think Anson Mount from Strange New Worlds also dived in and, you know, our franchise backs your franchise and oh, all did the rest he? of it. Yeah, yeah, I, th- oh, I, think that, wow. I think he did, yeah. Look, I'll, I'll just say very quickly... At the end of episode one, I thought Reaver was a perfectly interesting character. I thought the Inquisitors were really interesting. I wasn't sitting there thinking she's a great actress or a terrible actress. She just was an interesting character. Mm. I'm going to say, Dave, I think the character was pointless. I think the character was really strange. And let's try and put it together briefly. As a youngling, Reaver saw Anakin kill all her pals... And indeed, the inference is that he ran her through too, but it's in close-up. I guess they don't want to show children being skewered by lightsabers. Yeah, so I wasn't sure when I watched that. We, we actually discussed this in the office the next morning because we were all oh. a bit confused. Was it her remembering him stabbing her as a kid as he does the same thing as an adult, or was she placing the moment that she was in over the top of a memory? Okay. I took it to be that he skewered her. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure it was. Uh, and I think I think your comment is right because they don't want to show him stabbing a child. No. They've no. had to be a little bit more ambiguous in the direction. So it, it was a little bit, a bit ambiguous, but I, I get why. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. So not only does she survive that, if indeed that's what was meant to happen, 
But she then adopts an evil persona, becomes an agent of the Sith and starts murdering people, including children if needs be, I think we can presume. And she must do an awful lot of it to go anywhere near becoming a top Inquisitor and eventually becoming Grand Inquisitor. So freeze frame on this. This person is going around killing innocents to get a shot at Vader for the crime of killing innocents. Um, I think it's trying to make a story out of becoming the thing you hate and all that. But if you stop and scratch the surface of this writing, I think it's real amateur hour stuff. When you become something you hate, it's generally because you fall into it by accident and it happens so slowly you don't notice it happening. But here, I think she would have been having the choice to kill innocents, fellow Jedi, whatever, basically from the start. That's a real choice she's had to make, not something she's accidentally fallen into. Yet they try and have their cake and eat it too with this character, with her running around killing folk like she doesn't realise what she's doing is wrong, and then kind of having this realisation moment right at the end when she elects to not kill Luke. I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is all wrong. She would have known this was wrong from the start, Dave. Yeah, I think that there are some problems with the arc of her character uh, that that do develop over the course of the series. I think what the production team were really desperately trying to do was have a moment of pull the rug out from under the audience and everyone in the audience go, oh, I didn't see that coming. Mm. And, And because of that, they didn't give any flags or signals uh, or, 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 you know, Chekhov's regret that you know, <laughs> through, throughout the course of the, the character. Um, you know, if it was her job to go and get close enough to Vader to kill him, well, when he's standing a metre and a half away from her, putting a badge on her chest, that would be a great time to ignite your lightsaber mm-hmm. if that's what you want to do. I also agree. I don't think that Obi-Wan really called that out. And I think if Obi-Wan... And look, you know, I've said I'm a big fan of Show, Don't Tell, but this is one where I think you do need to be implicit if, and explicit if that's your intent. Have Obi-Wan say, you have become the thing you hate the most. Yeah. And really put a big button on that plot. I, I think they were trying to be a bit too clever. And so that's why it didn't quite come off. And as I say, I think it would be better if that confrontation had been stronger between her and Obi-Wan and then she'd been killed by Vader in episode five and then you make Vader and the Grand Inquisitor the final act. Well, thank you for that segue because I also think the character was pointless in the sense that you could have had the Grand Inquisitor on Ben's tail for the whole thing and he would have been the main nemesis. And the benefits of that, we keep... Ben and we keep Anakin apart and we give a decent storyline to a character who's already well established in Rebels. The Grand Inquisitor comes from Rebels. He's well established. Let's use him. So to me, Reva just felt really shoehorned in and that's and that's a problem. But again, people reacting to this with very over-the-top comments at the actress herself, that's just vile and wrong. So I hope people can see I'm coming at this from looking at, at what playing pieces are on the table without her and there's more than enough to do the story justice without adding her in. That That's kind of my point. And this whole backstory, Dave, of her being stabbed and then pretending to be evil by doing actual evil for a long period of time and then being stabbed again and surviving that and then still being evil and somehow understanding who Luke is in relation to Vader and where he is and then having this come to Jesus moment at the last minute. I mean, come on. If people can't see how convoluted Reva's storyline is... There's something wrong. Yeah, look, I think if there's any doubt that the actress can act 
again, watch that fight with her and Vader where yeah. you can see her go from I'm determined, I'm desperate to damn, what have I done to I'm 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 done. Like I'm fighting for my life here and I'm not gonna win. Mm. All conveyed without any dialogue. She she clearly can act. Absolutely. But yes, I think that her arc is a bit of a mess. I think it is a weaker part of the story. And and again, the legacy of Star Wars is the reason why you can't have the Grand Inquisitor do that role, because you can't have the Grand Inquisitor find Luke, not kill him, and then just be like, oh, well, I'll just clock off on Friday and, oh, Luke isn't in my inbox, or Obi-Wan isn't in my inbox on Monday, so I guess I'm not doing that. Like, like even Vader, you know, you get that little cameo with Palpatine, which, look, that was a nice moment, seeing Ian McDermott and going, oh, cool, I didn't know he was in it, that was a nice moment. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it very much was like, okay, audience, this is explaining why Vader doesn't go and track down Obi-Wan again for the next 10 years. He's just going to give up. It doesn't really work, and it's because you're trying to shoehorn new continuity into something that's 40-something years old. Yeah, see, I just wouldn't have had that as part of the story. I would have had the Grand Inquisitor as the nemesis, but he just would have never found out about Luke. He would have met Obi-Wan in different circumstances. They would have had fights in different circumstances. And in terms of Luke being in peril, if we have a second series of this stuff, have him in peril from the Tusken Raiders or something, and Ben fights them. Uh, look, I, I I see what you're coming from. I, I'm okay because the Vader moments were really cool. Mm. So albeit flawed so yeah look i mean you kind of if you want those moments you kind of have to take the the continuity issues and and the like and that's i mean that's the problem that star wars has if you want to use legacy characters but but if i can continue sort of down this path Mm -hmm. i really really loved hayden christensen okay i really enjoyed the scene between him and Obi-Wan. Look, it's very clear that Hayden Christensen isn't 20 anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's fine. Um, frankly, I think his skin's looking a bit worse than mine is. And I was a little bit disturbed to find out that Hayden Christensen is younger than me. And I had to... Um, I was very grumpy for a couple of days after learning that, I've got to say. That really Aww. blew me away. <laughs> I hadn't realised just how young he was when he did uh, Attack of the Clones. He was very young. He was very young, yeah. Look, I really enjoyed those scenes. I really enjoyed, as somebody who likes Hayden Christensen, I've I've long liked him as an actor. I think he's great in My Life as a House. I think he's great in Shattered Glass. I think he does some really good stuff with the good moments he has in his two movies. And look, he can't deliver bad Lucas dialogue any better than anyone else can in other parts of the movies. I mean, I defy Alec Guinness to give the I don't like sand speech and not make it sound terrible. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's not his fault that the whole story in Revenge of the Sith, like, hey, Padme, I'm an angry raging, raging lunatic tick that just masked a whole bunch of people. Oh, okay, let's have some babies. Like, yeah. you know, that's not his fault. Um, <laughs> so I was really pleased to see him. I, I thought that the moment where they did slash the mask and you saw the really pathetic remnants of Anakin just struggling to breathe under all of that and talking half through the mic, half for real, looking Obi-Wan in the eye. I thought that was a really powerful moment. I thought Hayden was great in it. It's, yes, as I said, a shame that it can't end with either either of them winning for all the reasons we've discussed a few times now. That was a shame. But I just thought they were great moments. I'm really glad Hayden came back. And I hope that for a lot of fans... 
that were Hayden haters, this has at least in part redeemed him. What if I told you that mask thing is Disney Star Wars riffing on Disney Star Wars because they already did it in one of the uh, CGI shows? Yeah, no, I had I had heard about that. Someone, um, <laughs> I, again, someone in the... You're going to think that we spend a whole time in the office talking about Star Wars. So I'm, That's pretty cool. Hi to Chris, James and Carson, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, but, but, but I, I guess just to make that, that side point... This is the thing about the, 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 the series, you know, all the series and being released episodically. We, we were not allowed to go to work on Thursday unless we'd watched Star Wars on Wednesday night because we wanted to stand around the metaphorical water cooler and talk about it. So, like, for all the faults that we're discussing, because we're fans and we do that, mm, mm. How, how cool is it? Let's just stop for a moment and put this out there. How cool is it that we get Star Wars on a semi-regular basis. Mm-hmm. We get to watch a Darth Vader TV show. Kevin Smith made this same point in the podcast. We get to watch a Darth Vader TV show. It's so well made. It's flawed, but a lot of fun. And we then get to go and see our work colleagues and our mates and talk about Star Wars. Like, we are living in a world we could not have believed even 10 years ago. Did he cry when he said that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think he uh, he got... He got um. He was actually getting a bit defensive because a couple of people were being quite critical of it. And he's like, okay. guys, just hang on. Like, if you'd said to 10-year-old us, we're going to watch Darth Vader have a massive fight with Obi-Wan on our TV, mm. we would all take that. Yeah, true. True. I have a quick comment on Ewan McGregor. I think his take on Ben in this series was curious in some ways. I think it was competent, even if he's forgotten how to do the voice. Um, and speaking of voices, is Jimmy Smith's doing a completely different take on Bail Organa's voice now as well? I, I've got to go back and watch Revenge of the Sith or something. I think he is. I don't know if it's a different take or he's just significantly older. Oh, maybe. Okay. And um, I just don't know if Jimmy Smith's voice can do what he was doing. Because Jimmy Smith's must be 60. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. So maybe his voice just doesn't do that. I, I forgive Jimmy Smith's. More than I forgive Liam Neeson, who is basically, I think, just zoomed in his performance and suddenly Qui-Gon Jinn's Irish. Like, clearly, quite clearly, Liam Neeson's going, I'm not playing this character again. Please. No, please. We will drive a dump truck of money up to your house and we can do it over Zoom. Okay, that's fine. But I'm not acting. I'm just going to do it in my normal voice. Fine. We don't care. No one will notice. They'll just be cheering. They'll all be doing reaction videos saying, hey, Qui-Gon's back. Yeah, that was like it was nice to see Qui Gon. It wasn't as big a deal for me as it was for people I know who grew up with Qui Gon Jinn. And, you know, Phantom Menace was their childhood, but it was a nice moment. But come on, he wasn't trying, was he? No, no, and and his beard especially wasn't trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, um, look, can we send somebody round to your house before you do the Zoom call and put a beard on you? No, no, no. I'll just put some cotton wool on my face. That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, uh, my brief take on Ewan McGregor was he kind of forgot how to do the voice and he had some really, really good scenes. Yes, 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 yes. But outside of those scenes, I felt at times he was going through the motions a bit. Maybe like he just didn't have the character quite back fully. I don't know. Or maybe he was trying to do something different with it. I don't know. Yeah, I think he was trying to do something different. Right. And I also found that my enjoyment of his performances did depend on how much I was enjoying the episodes. So yeah. that first episode where he's got some really good dramatic stuff, the third one where he's on the planet, uh, the, the desert, not the desert planet, the mining planet, and he's, again, got some really tense, 
and emotional moments. I thought that was really good. He was great in the final confrontation. But whilst I didn't mind the episode on the sea planet, that really was just him kind of running around corridors a lot. Mm. And I don't think he really clicked in that episode either. And I think that was one of his weaker moments. Yeah, yeah. A uh, quick point from me, the character of Tala I thought was a really interesting character. I did like this idea of somebody who came into the Empire, was disgusted by the Empire, and decided to do something different. Again, like Reva, I thought she died one episode too late. I thought mm-hmm. she should have died helping them escape from the Sea World. Yeah. And then you have Reva die helping them escape from the refugee centre, and then you make the finale Vader and the Grand Inquisitor. I think that's what I would have done. But it was an interesting character. I thought she was played well. Yeah, and an ex-Game of Thrones uh, actress who many people would have recognised too. Okay, there you go. Mm. Dave, shall we wrap up? Yeah, look, I've made all the points I came here to make. All right, I'll wrap up by saying I, I basically return to where I started here. If I wasn't wrapped up in Star Wars and like lore to be consistent, I'd be okay-ish, okay-ish with this. And freeze frame, I do say that because there are pop culture fans these days who don't seem to need lore to be consistent anymore, which I which I think is fine if we're talking about different eras of, say, Batman. You know, you've got a Christian Bale Batman and a Robert Pattinson Batman and a Ben Affleck Batman, you know. They can all be different Batman doing different things. The lore doesn't have to be consistent there with them. James Bond, again, the lore doesn't have to be consistent. But I think when we're talking the same ongoing characters, I think it's a complete waste of time to change the law because it means nothing ever matters ever again if the law is always changing. So, yeah, it depends on how seriously I want to take watching Kenobi to determine its overall value, if I'm honest. And I did sort of fluctuate here and there, more on the side of, ooh, I'm not sure what this is doing to the law. I'm not sure I like this, but gosh, it is quite all right. Oh, I don't know what to think. That's sort of how I ended up, Dave. Look, fair enough. I enjoyed the series. Some episodes were better than others. Episode one, I thought was really good. Episode two was probably the weakest of them, where they're running around the space Tokyo or whatever it was. Mm. And then it sort of built very, very well from there. Look, we've just, we've discussed the continuity issues. I, I get that it's a problem. And it certainly kept me more engaged than Book of Boba Fett did. That's fair. From here... I agree with you, if we can't shoehorn legacy characters into the law without it being a problem, let's not do that. I still think one of the best things they've produced in the last 10 years is The Mandalorian, and that is because it's got new characters and it's exploring the Star Wars world. It's why when they first announced all this slew of series, the Cassian Andor one is the one that I was most interested in, and that's still the case because these are basically new characters. You can do whatever you like with them as long as he ends up where he needs to in Rogue One, which is very, very easy, and you can explore the the darker side and the seedier side of this empire and actually really understand why it's so evil and how it affects the people. And you can have cool space adventures with different characters in that world. I think that's what Star Wars should be doing more of. Mm -hmm. So look, as much as I enjoyed this, as much as I'll certainly come back and watch season two, if they make season two and there seem to be conflicting rumors every day about whether season two is or isn't happening. So I guess we'll just wait and see. Look, perfect. No fun. Yes. So I'm happy. And on that bombshell, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you next time on Alternate Galaxies or the Doctor Who Show or Primary Sources or the List Makers or wherever you listen to us. 
We'll be there. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Alternate Galaxies, the podcast where Rob and Dave from the Doctor Who show take a look at other great sci-fi and fantasy that we think Doctor Who fans might like. You can reach us at hello at the dwshow.net, on Twitter at the dwshow, or on Facebook forward slash the dwshow. Alternate Galaxies is an irregular podcast, so stay tuned to the Doctor Who show and other programs on our feed to know when the next episode's coming. Our theme music is called Wretched Destroyer and is by Kevin McLeod. Find him at incompetech.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.